Welcome back to Talking Stocks. I'm Joe. I'm here with Todd as always. Todd, hope you had a nice Christmas and hope you're, hope you're enjoying a little bit of relaxation in between the holidays. I certainly am. Yeah, Joe, it's, um, it's always nice. You know, I, I don't want to say I'm addicted to watching the markets, right? It doesn't sound good, right? But I, it's always nice to have a reason or an excuse not to have to tune in. So it's good <laughs> when the market gives us those holidays, it's good to take advantage of them and just rest your brain a little bit and uh, do a little bit of reading and kind of some thinking without, you know, uh, being influenced by you know, ticks up or, or ticks down. Hopefully you had a nice holiday as well. I certainly did. Yeah, starting to starting to look forward to 2021 now. I think we're all ready to put this year behind us and so the the agenda we've got for you viewers and listeners is really forward looking. We're looking towards Q1 of 2021 and the whole year as well. So hang in there towards the end of the episode. Uh, we're going to we're going to give you guys some new year's our new year's resolutions and we hope you have some investing related new year's resolutions as well that we'd love to hear. But first uh, I want to I want to dive into seasonality, which is something we've talked about on the show several times before. Uh, but earlier earlier this week, we published a report specifically on ETF seasonality and the strongest ETFs in the kind of Q1 timeframe. So you know, starting starting next week, basically first uh, of January. So Todd, you can kind of take this how you want. But let's start by talking about these uh, these ETFs and what you see that looks promising heading into the new year. Absolutely. So um, I guess it's helpful to know. So for, it's one of seven key characteristics that we're looking for. So for the Power 7 model that we use for identifying stocks, seasonality is one of those seven metrics. What's interesting about seasonality, Joe, is that not only is it useful when it's used alongside some of these other these other six components things like earnings growth and earnings beats and money flow etc it's also useful as a standalone and i think that you know one of the things that investors always have to rem remember is that there is no black box secret magic formula that gives you okay this is the absolute stock that you have to buy and you're going to make money it's a guarantee right? there are no guarantees right but what seasonality does, it kind of shows you tendencies. So we have discovered that there are certain seasonal tendencies that specific sectors and industries and individual stocks have. And maybe it's tied to you know, the demand curve for whatever industry that happens to be in or it has to do with government budget cycles. There could be all sorts of reasons why there is seasonality, right? We just came out of a very seasonally strong period for retailers, right? Um, so, I mean, there's lots of things that can, that can maybe impact seasonality and create these tendencies. And these tendencies are things, something give you, uh, I guess, an edge that you can exploit. You know, one more tool in the toolbox, if you will, that you can consult and say, hmm, there's some pretty strong seasonal tendencies for XYZ stock. Maybe that's one more reason why I should be um, adding it to my watch list or considering adding it to my portfolio. Um, and that's why we do this every quarter. And we do it on a calendar quarter. And I do it for both exchange traded funds so that I can see, okay, these are the best ponds to fish in. And I do it on individual stocks. And those stock scores, uh, Joe, we're gonna highlight some stocks in a couple minutes. Um, the stock themselves won't though reflect the shift until next week so for members uh, link for a free trial um, for members when you go in and log in to the see this week's scores it's not going to reflect seasonality that'll happen next week that you'll get that role anyways with that that long lengthy 
<laughs> tiresome backdrop. Um, I wanted to share my screen and share with um, our listeners and viewers uh, what the seasonally strongest um, uh, ETFs are in our research. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and do that and then pull up that ETF seasonality. And Joe, if you could give me a thumbs up when you see the screen. Awesome. Okay, so uh, the way that I do this is I do it over a 10-year period. So I look at the trailing 10 years. And I want to try and find uh, baskets that are up 8, 9, 10, ideally 9 and 10. Um, but you don't really get 10 out of 10. You know, something always you know, can throw you a curveball and de derail any given year. So, but again, we're looking for tendencies. So 8, 9, 10 uh, of the last 10 being up for that calendar quarter would be something that would really be uh, attractive to me and something that I would want to be aware of. And what's interesting to me when we look at this list and Again, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or one of the other uh, services like Anchor, um, we do post these to YouTube as well. So you can log onto YouTube and you can see the screen that I'm sharing, but I'll walk you through it uh, if you're just listening. So the strongest ones, um, Joe, are a little counterintuitive in a way because you've got gold, GLD, agribusiness, moo is the symbol there. I love that symbol. <laughs> Right? Isn't that great marketing, right? Um, the uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Bond ETF, TIP, uh, Technology, XLK, Semiconductors, XSD, uh, and then you drop down to the eights from there, which are also very strong. You've got Europe, um, um, the EFA, EFA, you've got high yield bonds, you've got biotech, uh, etc. So, you know, it's interesting though, of those nines out of tens, that you, you'd have that kind of contradiction, right, Joe? That you would have both semis and, and well, I guess you'd call that semis a cyclical or, you know, but, but you get technology and gold and inflation protected bonds all up nine out of the past 10. Right. Years. It's a, it's a little bit confusing from, from an outside perspective because gold is seen as like the, the safe investment in a bear market, if you will. And obviously, tech would be pretty much the polar opposite of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I can't think of a better example of, of something that seems counterintuitive on the surface. Right. And to, to think that you'd both be able to make money by buying tech stocks and by buying gold in the, um, in, in the first quarter is kind of an interesting, an interesting setup. And I, I think it's one that's worth, worth noting, you know, and I, maybe Joe, what it does is it comes down to looking at and saying, okay, you know, there are, you're coming into a brand new year. You just exit a year. You're going to have some people are going to look at 2020 and say, well, what an amazing year. You can't, you can't do that again. Or, you know, we're, we're bound to, to give some of that back. So I'm going to play some defense. I'm going to buy gold. And then you have the other crowd who say, oh, wow, what an amazing year that was for technology stocks. I got to make sure that I have enough of those in my portfolio because there, is a, uh, there are a number of investors who are kind of will look at the top performers from la the prior year and say, okay, that's where I need to have my allocation. The other thing that I'll look at, Joe, is I'll look at when I, I scroll out here and you can see nine of the past 10. I mean, gold obviously being up last year where um, agribusiness and technology and all those were down because we had that, that really big soft, sharp sell-off um, right through March. And then we started to rally off the March low. But I also look at the median returns 
and standard deviations and the correlation to the S&P 500. So, you know, what's interesting about gold is you got that negative correlation to the S&P 500 in the first quarter. So yeah, that can give you a little bit of a hedge, play a little bit of a defense. So it might not be a bad time to go out and add a little GLD or portfolio and see how, how, how that performs. Um, you know, the others are a little bit higher, higher correlated, but you know, treasury inflation uh, protected bonds to the tip ETF is not, it's only a 0 0.10, which makes sense, right? Because it's treasuries. Um, and then you can look at the standard deviation. You can say, obviously, you know, your treasury bond's not gonna have much of a, uh, much of a risk there as far as volatility, uh, whereas you have a pretty substantial amount of volatility in agribusiness and in semiconductors. Um, and then gold, uh, median return of 2.7% over the last 10 years. So the median return is 2.7%. Um, Agribusiness, 4.9%. Uh, semiconductors, 9% median return. So, you know, we talked about semiconductors in Q4 as being a very strong seasonal play. Um, it looks like we've got some really nice seasonality that should continue in semiconductors in the first quarter, Joe. And then if you scroll down to the eights out of tens, um, you, again, you've got some bond funds in here, munis, uh, corporate bonds. Um, we do have the JP Morgan healthcare conference coming up in the beginning of January. That usually um, is, is a pretty good uh, catalyst for some of the biotech stocks. And you can see biotech actually has a median return of 8.9% in the first quarter. It's one of the highest ones right up there with semiconductors. Uh, might be worth taking a look at that heading into the JP Morgan conference. Um, so th those are just some of the ones that, you know, you want to concentrate on. And then from a sector perspective, you know, the sector ranking we do every week, Joe, um, we're going into the new year with consumer goods, industrials, um, and financials, and basics, and then technology slightly positive and kind of neutral. That's probably going to shift. We're probably going to see technology reexert itself a little bit in the score. Uh, but we do have some pretty good still seasonality in the first quarter for basic materials and for consumer goods. So we might see those continue on. And then if you scroll down to the bottom of the list, Joe, because it's also important to see what, what ponds you probably don't want to fish in. Right. Um, interesting enough, the actual agriculture uh, ETF itself, the DBA. So you want to be invested in the agribusiness companies, which is, you know, the tractor supply, the deer and that and the like, but you may not necessarily want to own the actual grains. You don't want to own corn or soybeans only up three of the past 10 years and natural gas only up two of the past 10 years. Um, and then everything else is pretty much middle of the road coin flip territory where you really can't draw a lot of conclusions if something is a, is up five of the past 10 or six of the past 10. Yep. Perfect. So with that, uh, why don't we uh, hone in on some on some individual stocks that uh, are are equally bullish through the first quarter, whether they're in in those sectors that we just covered or not, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, where wherever you wherever you want to take it, what are your what are your top uh, Q1 2021 picks? Well, I'm still going through and trying to to you know find some some names to add to my portfolio, and I absolutely love this the fact that we do this every quarter because invariably I'll find a, a name that will percolate up on one of these lists, and it'll and I'll be like, oh, geez, yeah, I haven't looked at that one in a while. I really should add this to my watch list and see if I can find an entry because Joe, that's what I like to do. I I like to to use um, the research, the stock scores, and the seasonality as an idea generation machine. 
So, you know, it's going to, I know that it's going to produce to me high quality ideas. So once I see those percolating up in the rankings, then I'll take them and I'll throw them into my watch list. And I'll, then I'll look at the market and I'll say, okay, is the market um, giving me an opportunity? Is it a strong uptrend or do I worry about it or whatever? And then I'll take a look at the individual stock and say, okay, can I get a good down day to add to this position? And I usually will buy positions that I add to my watch list uh, when they're down three or 5% day. Um, so yeah, I'll go back and share my screen again. And we can take a look at some individual stocks that are catching my eye. Um, see, that's the ETF screen. So I'm just gonna swap back over and now get to the stock screen. And you can see here that I've done the same thing. I've got the last 10 years and I'm looking for seasonal tendencies, stocks that tend to be very strong in, um, in the first quarter. And you notice that Domino's Pizza <laughs> is oh, yeah. very strong. Um, you know, maybe that's a lot of people buying pizza to, uh, because they, you know, it's cold weather and, and they don't want to go out and they want to have the delivery. Or maybe it's because, you know, hey, it's football playoff season. They want to make sure they, they get their, uh, get their pizza for, for the big game. I don't know. Um, very strong though. 10 of the past 10 years, Domino's has been up. Interestingly enough, Joe, the score in our research right now is only neutral. So, you know, I wouldn't put that one at the, the front of the line as a stock to add to my watch list. I'd wanna see that score pop up a little bit first. So again, we're looking for tendencies and then I'm looking for things that will align. So high score, but also strong seasonal tendency. NVIDIA fits that bill. It has a high score above 90 uh, and it's also been up in 10 of the past 10 years with a median return of 12%. So NVIDIA would be one of the names that, you know, I think investors, if you don't own NVIDIA yet, you're going to want, actually on the chart, um, you know, again, I use, I'm not a technician, but I will use charts to help me guide overbought and oversold and where I think that there's a good entry point. On the chart, I think that you're setting up for a pretty decent entry point for NVIDIA. So that's one that I would have on the list. You'll also notice on the list, um, a name that you've mentioned in the past before as being a little, maybe a little frustrating, Joe, booking, booking holdings, uh, the old price line, BKNG. Um, that has not, again, a score that does not confirm the seasonal tendency, but it is interesting uh, to see that as a, a very high um, seasonal tendency, given the fact that we do have a vaccine and there is a lot of excitement and potential hope, I guess, that people would still start to go out and, um, and plan trips. Um, I will say though, again, down 34%. So the nine out of 10 <laughs> last year, that was a pretty painful uh, down year for booking. So again, not one that I would move to the front of the line. Um, another one though that I would be looking at is Intuit. Intuit, I would put at the front of the line. I'd make sure that I have that. And Intuit again, up nine of the past 10 years in the first quarter, median return of 8%, very high scoring in our research, Joe, above 90. And, you know, it makes sense. Intuitively, Intuit makes sense, right? Because uh, they get a lot of business from their tax software solutions. And we've got the end of the year. And then of course, we've got everybody filling out their, using TurboTax to fill out their taxes and file their taxes. So Intuit is another one <clears throat> that I wanted to mention to invest, to everybody who's listening. Um, going down the list, Progressive. Interestingly enough, Joe, <clears throat> I just redid my car insurance 
and ended up going with progressive, saved almost 50%. So, you know, maybe the you know, beginning of the year is a good time to go back and take a look at uh, your auto insurance and your home insurance and see whether or not you might be able to save some money. Anyways, yep. progressive, strong seasonal tendency, and also, I happen to know, very high scoring in our work. And then another one that um, I wanted to mention was, uh, I'm going to pull up, let's see. Yeah, I'm going to go back here. So CGen, um, Joe, uh, which I don't have up here on the screen right now because I just closed my window, but CGen, S-G-E-N, which used to be Seattle Genetics, that kind of fell in the camp of, boy, I love it when I do these screens and a name pops up that I haven't looked at in a while. Um, I, I, that's a name that I actually just bought some today. Uh, Seattle Genetics, uh, S-G-E-N. And I, I think that that's a really interesting entry point for the company. I think it's got a lot of catalysts in 2020. It's got some really interesting um, uh, monoclonal antibodies targeting cancer. It's got some data catalysts that are coming out this year and some commercial catalysts. Got a big, big deal with Merck and uh, very high scoring in our work. And again, strong seasonality. So there's a smattering. Again, I love that word smatter. So there's a smattering, Joe of stocks that are both very high seasonally score uh, seasonal tendencies but also very high scoring all right yeah that was an that was an excellent uh, very diverse smattering so i <laughs> i i always appreciate that so i want to shift gears now um because here we are we're recording this on december 30th so we're we're two days away from the new year and thank goodness for that uh, so I want to I want to talk about uh, New Year's resolutions. You've been you've been uh, teasing me about yours, and you haven't revealed it yet. So I know we each have one. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go first. So viewers and listeners, these are investing related New Year's resolutions. Yeah, and I hope that I would love it if um, if you're listening to the show, mention in the comments uh, what your investing resolution is. Maybe we'll mention it on the show next week For if sure. you've got some good resolutions. My resolution is something that I've I've actually it's not the first year I've actually had it on my list of resolutions. It's something that I've struggled with a lot, Joe, uh, in my career. You know, I've I've been investing in stocks since the '90s. I you know that I'm a very systematic and rules based investor. I always say you know, plan a trade and, and trade your plan. And you know, I think that there's, I have some really good rules and some really good trolls, practices and processes for entering, identifying stocks and then entering them. Um, what I want to do better on in 2020 is I want to do better on my exits. So I want to spend more time in 2021, sorry, 2021. I want to spend more time in, on my sell strategy. And when I say that I want to spend more time on my sell strategy, I want to do a better job of reducing uh, the average loss of my losers. So historically, my entries have been very good. My, my idea generation has been solid. And I've got a really high win rate because of that. But if you take a look at your gain to pain ratio, or you know, there's, there's different ratios out there you can kind of look at and say, okay, just on a very basic level, you know, how much am I making my average winner versus how much am I, am, am I losing on my average loser? I feel like I can improve that number. And part of the, the, the problem for me, thing that I've realized is that I have a tendency not to sell unless my catalyst is busted. You know, that was, that was something that, that in 2020, I was really good about. Don't sell unless your catalyst is busted. 
But I think that oftentimes price can lead the busting of a catalyst. So oftentimes I will know if I'm right, right away. If I put on an entry and I buy a stock, normally if I've timed it right, if I've entered right, I'm going to be up on the stock right away. If I'm down on the stock right away, I need to do a better job of taking a look and saying, okay, did I miss something? Is there something in my catalyst that, is there something that I missed to make sure that I'm, I'm really that comfortable in holding on to the losing stock? And, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, I hate pitch saying, okay, there, it has to be, you know, O'Neill did the 8% rule. If I'm down 8%, I'm gone, right? That was how he controlled it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to have that line in the sand. But I think that if I get, le- if I'm down more than 10% in a stock, um, I really, really want to take a look at it and, and make a decision and, and be honest with myself and make sure that I'm not, it, you know, justifying holding position in a hope and prayer kind of uh, way. Um, so I guess, you know, that's a long kind of drawn out. But for my resolution for 2021, I just, I want to refine more my sell strategy so that I can make it a little bit more systematic and hopefully improve my gain to pain ratio and maybe, you know, uh, tweak and boost my average win to average loss. Awesome. That's, that's great. And it's actually one of the things that I struggle with as well, because my, my portfolio right now is it's pretty mixed. It's a lot (laughs) overall, there's a lot more green than there is red, but there are still some that I'm a few that I'm stubborn about that I'm carrying some pretty significant losses on. And I'm, I, my attitude is, well, I'm, I'm young. It'll come around eventually. And maybe that's the right attitude. Maybe it isn't, but one way or another, it's, it's a very frustrating experience. So an example would be uh, Dropbox. I've held Dropbox for a solid couple years, bought it at 26 and it's never gone above 26 since I bought it. And it's inching upwards. And at this point, I think I'm going to wait it out, but I have some others that just have like, I, I owned Boeing for a, also a couple of years and thought that they would be able to climb out of the hole and then it was just bad news after bad news after bad news and I said screw it I'm gonna sell it and I sold when it hit 200 so I'm I'm improving on that but there's still a lot of room for improvement yeah and you know one of the things Joe just to follow up on what you were saying you you had that drop box in the drop box you say you bought it at around 26 you never kind of got the clips back up above that 26 mark and I think that that's kind of what I was hinting at before, which is like, you know, when I'm right about a stock, when I've identified a great company and a great business, and then I've, I've got my entry right, I'm up pretty much right out of the gate. I mean, I'm, I might be down for a week or two, or maybe it bounces around a little bit, then I can use it if I'm, I've got a starter position, I can use that to build it up to a normalized position. But if I'm down right away um, on a stock, to your point, Oftentimes, like you know, if I get down ten more than ten percent on a stock out of the gate, uh, I, I end up being wrong. You know, one of the things that that prompted me to really kind of think more about this was that I'm a big believer in a uh, big follower of the Motley Fool. They do a great job. They have a lot of awesome tools. And one of the things I do is I participate in their Motley Fool Caps game, and it's a great way of kind of reinforcing 
and keeping a track record of your 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 what you're buying, what you like, what you don't like, whatever. And I have been very fortunate to do very well in that game. Last week, um, I clipped the, I'm in the top 1% now of all players for the first time. And I was looking at, yay. yay. At, but what was interesting about that, Joe, is I was going through it. I was looking, okay, let's look at my winners. Let's look at my losers. Let's see how it all works. And buy and hold, absolutely dominate, it dominated, right? It was a strong bull market. I, I identified a number of stocks like Trade Desk and Shopify, held them on. And those way more made up, just a few of my big winners, way more than offset all of my losers combined, which is great, right? That's what you would expect. You'd expect that, you know, 10 to 20% of your picks really do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, in the portfolio. But then I started looking at those losers again. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. But if I, you know, I'm in the top, I can't really complain about being in the top. But, but I'm looking at it, I'm saying, you know, why do I still, why is that still in the game? Why, why am I still riding that stock? And I think that that's, that's kind of what, you know, what we're talking about here and your, with your thing is just trying to figure out, you know, once you have, a, it's easier in a way to develop a system for identifying and buying and much harder because of emotion to figure out when to sell. Right. So now for my new year's resolution, I, my now former company sent me this wonderful, it's a smart notebook. Um, so shameless plug. Um, it's called a, it's called a rocket book. I'm still figuring it how, figuring out how it works, but long story short, I'm going to use it to basically keep an investing diary or notebook. So one of my, one of my issues is, and I'll give, I'll give you an example. I, I tend to buy something and I hold it for too long. It peaks and I end, up, oh, I end up holding it way after the peak and I have to sell where I shouldn't. So what I'm going to do is whenever I buy something, I'm going to write down obviously when I bought it, what it is, what I bought it at, how long I want to hold it for, and what I would ideally like to sell it at. And eventually I, I want to work up so that I have basically just a bunch of like limit orders, stop orders in my portfolio for everything. So, you know, if Visa hits 400, just naming a random stock and a random price, then it would just automatically sell. So if I'm, you know, off, doing whatever and it hits 400, you know, while I'm at the doctor's office or something, I don't have to worry about it. So really it's about planning trades. That's, that's what my new year's resolution comes down to. I would advise that for everybody who's watching and listening because I end up making really stupid mistakes and getting greedy. So my example uh, going back is Moderna talked about it on the show before obviously it's been all over the news and the price has just plummeted it's been so depressing to watch and i i'm still up on it but i actually just sold it while we were recording because i needed to let go and i was sick of watching it just slide and slide and slide and so i sold it for like a 42 percent gain and you know what good enough but i should have sold when i was up 100 percent 
because I you know what though you protect yourself against what Peter Brandt calls the uh, popcorn trades. Popcorn trades. Peter Brandt's uh, in the Unknown Market Wizards book by Jack Schwager. Just got it for Christmas. I've been reading it. He's also pretty active on Twitter, and he talks about these things called popcorn trades, where you make money on it right away, just like a popping pop popcorn kernel yep. pop, and then the kernel comes back down and falls away all the way to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so you you make the money, but then you watch it go all the way back. And right. that's what you want to try to invest. And, you know, you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, well, you know, you just made a very nice, congratulations, made a nice, a nice win on that, on that trade, but could you have done better? And I think that's part of investing journal is so important, so useful. I'm excited that you're doing this because I think that's going to be fantastic uh, experiment uh, to be able to, to track your thoughts and put them out there and then scan them and have them um, as a, digitize them and elect, so you're able to go through and look at them, maybe sort them and kind of look for trends and things that you've said or done or where you violate or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. I think that that could be so useful. That's a really, that's a really great, uh, I'm looking forward to next year. We'll have to go back and say, all right, Joe, how do we do on that? That's great. Right. It's going to, it'll be fun to look back, especially after having like a few years worth of notes and, you know, looking back when it's 2024 and looking back on what my, uh, what my plans were and what my trades were in 2021. It'll, it'll be, it'll be really fun to uh, kind of, what am I trying to say? Uh, chronicle that over yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just also thinking about just on the, for our listeners who maybe are struggling with some of the similar things. Matter of fact, someone you tweeted it this week. I don't think I, I'm not sure if I replied, if I didn't, I apologize. <laughs> uh, but it was this, it was this, the the same thing basically you know have you ever ridden the stock up and then back down and how frustrating is that and that was something that i do do a very good job of, of controlling it's part of my rule base if i do sell vertical so i call it selling vertical so you know if you get a chart that moves up vertical like this then i will be taking some off um oftentimes we'll leave some on because you know i do believe that you get longer benefit of the, of the longer term trend but I mean, like, look at Amos, like Tesla or Shopify that I've owned for years and years and years, right? I have trimmed those, right? You know, there are periods where those things have run and I've, I've taken and put some of that money in my pocket and then used that to diversify and buy other, other stocks. So I think that, you know, you can have kind of a hybrid, Joe, as you're thinking about it and saying to yourself, I'm going to put some of that profit in my pocket when it goes vertical like that. Um, and then, you know, have some sort of a discipline or a strategy for making sure that you don't ride, ride that trade all the way back down and see that popcorn fall all the way back down to the bottom. Of the Absolutely. It's, it's, such a, it's such a terrible feeling knowing that you've missed the peak like that. But it's important to one of, one of the things I've, I've learned and I learned early is to not get too greedy. Um, so, you know, if, if, you, if you get to a point where you own something like, Tesla or Shopify that's just rising just like a like a rocket ship and you're up a hundred percent you're way better off to just you know liquidate that than have it plummet and then you know wait for another another meteoric rise that may or may not happen yeah and I mean I think that it's there are two, I usually define stock, put stock, stocks into two camps when I put a trade on Joe. So I've got my forever stocks and a Shopify fits into my forever portfolio. And then I have my rentals. Yep. And a rental would be kind of like a cyclical based trade or a seasonally based trade. So I might like the semiconductors for me, 
in many respects are, are more of rental trades for me. So I'm much more willing to have a, a short leash with a rental trade than I am with a forever stock. So, you know, if I've got, if I've identified a stock that has the characteristics of a forever stock, then, you know, good management, big addressable market, disruptive technology, whatever, then what I'm really trying to do is I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't want investors to think that I'm trying to get too cute with the name because I think when you get too cute with it, you, uh, you can do yourself a disservice, right? But what I, what I am saying is that when I get uncomfortable with the weight of the stock in my portfolio, so if Shopify goes up 1500%, which it did for me, or Tesla goes up 1500%, which it did for me, then because of the weight now of my portfolio, that makes me uncomfortable. So I'm gonna trim that back to a reasonable weight again. So I'm still benefiting from the, that part of my forever portfolio, but I've also put some money in my pocket. Does that make sense? Absolutely, definitely does. So before, uh, before we part ways and uh, cruise into the new year, I wanna, I wanna put you on the spot here because tomorrow I wanna, I wanna, um, I wanna act upon this, this New Year's resolution a little bit early. And I want to buy one stock. Not, I'm not going to buy a ton of it. You know, I'll buy like, as you say, like the kind of starter position as far as allocation in my portfolio. If uh, one stock, if I'm going to any stock, what should I buy tomorrow? <laughs> oh, you are putting me on the spot. You know, yeah, I know. Okay, so, so here's the problem with that question. And I'll t uh, this is something very common that you'll see um, investors trying to figure out, okay, what am I, you need to have, yes, hey, you need to identify stocks. I have a list and I shared it on Twitter recently. You can follow me at, at EB Capital. I have a list of probably 10, you know, 10, 12 stocks, something like that, that I'm watching as we go into the new year. Now, I don't know on any given day if one of those stocks is going to give me my entry. Because you'll remember a couple minutes ago, one of the things that I said is I don't like to buy just to buy, when, especially after markets had a big run. I like to buy if a stock has pulled back and kind of checks my boxes so on a down three to 5% day. So, you know, for example, I guess, I guess I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not gonna answer your question for you, Joe. No, but I will, what I will say is today, I took Seattle Gen X, which is yep. now CGEN, and the symbol there, S-G-E-N. It checks off all of my boxes and it's pulled back and I can define my exit, meaning that you're close to support. And I can say to myself, I think that I'm going to be okay in here. And I'm probably not going to violate that 10% kind of area where I'm going to be really nervous about, about continuing to hold the stock. So maybe it's, maybe it's a C gen that you're looking at, Joe. All but right. There, there's, there, there are others that we talked about on the show that you could also be looking at. And again, I think that, you know, if one of the, if we sell off on the last day of the year, um, Maybe that gives you your entry. And the other thing, Joe, that I like to do uh, is I oftentimes will buy in the last uh, 10 to 15 minutes of the day. Um, and I found personally that that's really good because you can get, yes, you get intraday ups and downs and swings and you won't get the low or whatever. But I now know that I'm not going to get run over if I put a trade on at two o'clock in the afternoon. Right, I've only got yep. two minutes left. I can see what the what the what the imbalances are, and I can put that on and feel good about. Okay, I got a good entry, and now let's see if she now let's see if she rallies um, the next um, the next day or two. Yep, 
All right. Well, good answer to a terrible question. Don't ever ask Todd that question, viewers and listeners. <laughs> you will not get a straight answer. Lesson learned. With that, with that uh, very unclimactic ending, do you have any parting words for us before we, uh, before we head off and we'll see all of our viewers and listeners again in 2021? Yeah, I really, I would love to hear what other people's investment resolutions are um, for 2021. So I hope you'll take a second and just like and subscribe and put in the comments um, something that, that you plan on trying to improve in your own, um, you know, process of planning trades and trading plans in, uh, in the coming year. Absolutely. All right, we'll leave it there. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you next week.